In the last two decades, over 7,000 American soldiers have lost their lives on the battlefield. Yet in that same time period, we've lost over 100,000 to veteran suicide. And hundreds of thousands more of our brave warriors and their families continue to suffer every single day from the mental scars of war, otherwise known as combat-related post-traumatic stress or combat PTSD. Enough is enough. We're doing something about it. Our 501c3 nonprofit, Operation Save Our Soldiers, is helping to change the lives of our brave men and women struggling with combat PTSD with our direct sponsorship of an exclusive warrior retreat and a revolutionary new therapy that's literally putting an end to their symptoms and suffering in as little as just one two-hour session without drugs or the old-school talk therapy pushed by the VA. The results are instant and permanent, but we need your help. Soldiers pay nothing for the solutions they receive at these warrior retreats, which means from time to time we have to ask for assistance to help sponsor their traveling attendance. With as little as just a $5 donation right now, you can help change the life of one of our brave soldiers and help them finally win the battle against combat PTSD once and for all. 100% of your tax-deductible donation goes straight to sponsoring a veteran's attendance, so you'll know your gift will directly impact their life and get them the help that they need. Many talk about supporting our troops. Today I'm asking you to do something about it. Please help sponsor a soldier today by going to www.operationsaveoursoldiers.org. Hello, Warriors, and welcome to Warrior Life Podcast number 399. I am your host, Buck Green, in for Jeff Anderson, and this week I thought we'd talk about what every single self-defense and fight video and altercation footage you've ever seen has in common. Every video you've ever watched of people fighting or people losing their minds online, they all have one thing in common. What that thing is, is there's someone behind the camera not getting involved. The question then becomes, when do you get involved in a self-defense situation? When should you be hanging back recording a situation? And when should you be putting your phone down and actually doing something? That's the topic of this week's podcast. All right, are you ready? Then let's talk when to get involved. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right, we're back. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson this week. I, My guilty pleasure, among many of them, is watching videos of people fighting. Seeing real fight videos, it goes all the way back to when I was a teenager and I used to watch episodes of Cops. Cops was the closest a teenager like me could get to seeing what real criminals carried and how they behaved. You know, when when a cop would search a guy and and empty his pockets and he had weapons on him, seeing the types of real weapons that, that bad guys carried around, that stuff was really interesting to me. I wanted to know even then, you know, how did the minds of your average criminal, how did their minds work? What kinds of gear did they carry? What was their behavior like and maybe that's what led me into the the business that I work in today but one of the things that all the videos you see have in common is that there's always that element of someone is recording in the age of reality television it's really easy to forget that there's always a camera there i i've one of my guilty pleasures is uh, hell's kitchen i've been re-watching all the episodes of hell's kitchen and they go back like 18 19 seasons that's like 
a couple of decades, probably, of Gordon Ramsay yelling at people. And there are times when you forget there's always a camera there. There's somebody operating cameras. Um, I remember back when I used to watch The Amazing Race and you'd see these people racing around the world trying to beat each other. It was easy to forget that there's always another party. There's someone carrying the camera. Uh, that show with the three English guys in the cars, uh, the name of which escapes me at the moment, um, there was always another car with a camera crew in it, and, and it was easy to forget. So in this world where we tend to forget about the human element when it comes to recording an incident, otherwise we wouldn't be able to see it, it's also very easy to forget that we're dealing with real people doing real things. Sometimes human lives are at stake. When do you get involved? Why do you get involved? Or why might you not get involved? These are all questions that we don't spend enough time asking. And as a result, either we stand by and watch as bad stuff happens, or I think uh, more appropriately for this audience, I think a lot of the people in our audience consider themselves sheepdogs, you know, the type of people who would get involved to protect others because we want to live in a world where the average bystander, the average spectator would intervene to save someone's life, to stop something bad from happening. Um, sometimes those folks get themselves into big trouble. And, you know, the single best example of that is the classic domestic incident where a man and a woman get into a fight or any kind of romantic couple of any combination of sexes get into some kind of fight. Police will tell you that those are extremely dangerous. And I don't know if the statistic still holds true, but at one time, statistically, they were one of the most dangerous things that police did was respond to domestic incidents because Oftentimes, when you're trying to arrest the guy who is the aggressor, or, well, I say guy, when you're trying to arrest the person who is the aggressor, the other party in the couple will turn on you and maybe attack you because suddenly now the, the two people who were fighting are united against the common foe that is the police. You know, and, and, and that's a that's a, an emotion that I think a lot of us can relate to. A lot of us who grew up with younger siblings who maybe we fought with from time to time, it was one thing for us to fight with them, but... Oh, if somebody else picked on a brother or sister and, you know, got in on the action, then it was, no, no, you don't get to pick on, on my sibling. That's for me to do, and now you're going to get beat up. <laughs> I, I once read a review of some Godzilla movie that compared Godzilla's relationship with Japan to that of an abusive spouse. Because, you know, Godzilla's constantly stomping his way through Japan. And, you know, in many of the movies, they're trying to destroy him. But then when another monster comes along and threatens Japan, because it's always Japan, um, then Godzilla beats up that monster. Because <laughs> nobody else is going to horn in on his stomping on the countryside action. So, uh, honestly, when you are trying to evaluate whether you should get involved in any incident... When you see a couple fighting in public, when you see somebody about to get mugged or robbed, when you see a fight starting to break out, or maybe you see a fight already happening, when you see what looks like an active shooter, a guy with a gun, what what do you do? What do you think? What questions do you ask yourself before you get involved, before you intervene? Because it's not simple. You don't always get to know clearly who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. One of the best examples of that is there was a famous incident where a dude was getting out of his truck outside of a Walmart. He was a, he had a concealed carry license he was carrying legally, and his gun, 
was exposed briefly. Well, some Yehu watching him in the parking lot saw the gun, decided that what he was witnessing was a guy who meant to commit some sort of mass shooting. So he attacked him. And the concealed carrier showed a lot of restraint. He could easily have shot this lunatic off him. He didn't. Um, I, I forget how their scuffle ended, but eventually it did. And the guy who attacked the concealed carrier ended up getting charged for attacking him, as well he should have. Because in that guy's tiny mind, there's no such thing as legally carrying a gun. Now, you and I know, depending on the state that you live in, most of the people listening to this podcast probably understand that, yes, it is either legal for them to carry a gun or they know they live somewhere that it's not, but they know what the rules are. There are a lot of people out there who are not like you and me who have no idea that it's legal for private citizens to carry guns. Their televisions have taught them that the guy carrying the gun is always the bad guy. Uh, There's no such thing as a good guy with a gun in the worlds of people like that. And so these are people who will suddenly get involved to their detriment and yours if they think you're the bad guy. Um, The Kyle Rittenhouse trial is another good example The prosecutors tried to claim that the people who physically attacked Kyle Rittenhouse thought he was an active shooter, and therefore by attacking him, they were trying to save other people. Now, that's not actually what happened, but that defense nearly worked. I mean, they they almost railroaded that kid right into prison for successfully defending himself. Uh, You know, and, and I might offer that if you shoot two or three people in one night and every single one of those people has an extensive criminal record... You're dealing with a population of people who are not going to be on the side of right and righteousness. You know, that's because that's a weird hat trick to pull off. All of them? Really? But that's neither here nor there. The point is, uh, whenever we encounter any kind of a potential incident, any kind of altercation, any kind of self-defense situation, we're always dealing with a situation where we have to figure out, do I get involved? Do I wait until I have more information? What do I do? So there are five questions, or maybe it would be more accurate to call them five considerations, that you should run through in your head as quickly as you can to try and evaluate whether or not you should get involved. So in any kind of scenario where you're thinking of taking action rather than just watching, and now I'm not going to say it's always wrong to just be a good witness. Sometimes the best thing you can do is be a good witness, roll video so there's evidence because we're all carrying around video cameras in our phones these days. Um, you, you may be doing the police and everyone else a favor while staying out of the line of fire and recording evidence. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But you have to ask yourself some important questions. The first question you need to ask yourself when you're contemplating whether or not to get involved is, is someone's life on the line? Will someone else get hurt or killed? You have to think about, you know, is this a matter of life and death? You know, if I see two guys, like, for instance, I was in the parking lot of a grocery store. And one guy was walking and another guy was in a truck. It was summer. Everybody had their windows down. Guy in the truck goes too close to guy who is on foot. So guy who is on foot slaps the truck. And, you know, people get a little irate when you make physical contact with their vehicles. So guy in the truck stops and gets out. Pickup truck guy and on foot guy are now chest to chest doing that dance. I'm telling you, you never saw two guys who wanted to fight less. Both of them wanted to back the other guy down, but I could tell by watching them and by evaluating their body language and the things they were saying, neither one of them actually wanted to throw a punch. Neither one of them really wanted to cross that line into, I am in a fight. 
So I watched that whole thing unfold. I could have got out of my vehicle. I was waiting in the parking lot while someone else was grocery shopping. I could have done something. I didn't. I didn't even bother to videotape them because I wasn't really witnessing a crime. I did watch because, you know, if someone had thrown a punch, I wanted to be able to tell the authorities who it was, but I honestly did not think that that would happen. So I just watched. It was not necessary for me to get involved, and I really didn't feel that anyone was in any real danger. These were two guys sort of flexing their masculinity and finally, you know, pickup truck guy got back in his truck and drove away and they were both shouting F-bombs at each other. I've done that before. Uh, I was driving a Jeep that did not have a working horn at one point. It was another summer day, my window's down. A guy almost backed into me and I shouted out my window. Well, he got offended at that, so he shouts, F you! And I'm like, no, F you! And we go back and forth like that for a while and finally he leaves. And some little old lady who was watching this unfold looks at me and I looked at her and I said, this edition of Shakespeare in the Park brought to you by, and that got a little chuckle out of her and I felt a little less embarrassed because it's nothing to be proud of, you know, shouting F you to some stranger. But neither one of us was in danger. There was no need for anyone to get involved. This was not a life and death matter. It's different though when you see something else that looks like somebody could be in physical danger. And I'm going to tell you, I saw what was basically a domestic incident unfold right across the street from me. Uh, shortly after the pandemic started, so a lot of us were spending a lot of time at home, um, I was in the living room and I look out and across the, the house sits across the street from a building that has a bench out front. That bench attracts nothing but trouble because there's something about having a place to sit that draws people and draws trouble. There was a guy on that bench one day after, I can't remember what holiday or event was going on. It wasn't St. Patrick's Day, but it was something like that. Might have been Cinco de Mayo, something like that. Uh, you're one of your traditional drinking holidays. There was a guy on that bench and I swore he was dead. I went over there because he'd been out there for a while. I'm like, sir, sir, excuse me, sir. He didn't move, and he didn't look like he was breathing. I thought the guy had died on that bench. So I called 911, and the cops came. They eventually eventually were able to sort of get him on his feet and move him along. He did not seem well. Well, that same bench, I look out one day. You know, the pandemic is on, and we're all worried, and we're all home. And I look out the, the window in the living room, and I see a guy and a girl. They were teenagers, probably. Probably not even 20. And... I watch, and the body language of the guy was really starting to worry me. He was pantomiming punches. He was throwing punches in the air. Anyone who talks about pre-contact in, uh, indicators, you know, precursors of violence, will tell you that people who are thinking about gearing up to do violence will pantomime their motions before they do it. So a guy who has a gun in his waistband who's thinking about pulling it because he's going to rob a store, he'll make these sort of furtive motions that is his body going through the mental exercise of here's what I'm going to do when I pull my gun. People who are hiding guns like that have a tendency to touch the gun too to reassure themselves that it's still there. Uh, people who are thinking about punching you will make some punching in the air while they're working their way up to it sometimes. So I'm watching this and I'm, I'm thinking, do I get involved? And I ask myself question number one, could someone get hurt or killed? And my, my decision finally was, normally I would mind my own business, but that girl's going to get hurt if he actually hits her. Um, this is looking really bad. So I called the cops and uh, the cops came and that teenager decided today was a great day to have a criminal record. Because what does he do? While the cops are talking to him and he's got her phone and that was one of the points of contention was that he'd taken her phone from her. He hurls the phone into somebody's yard. 
Well, the cops immediately initiate I'm going to arrest you mode, and he decides he's going to fight the cops. So that dumb moron tries to fight the cops. There was like five or six cops because, I don't know, they were having a slow day. So he tries to fight the cops, fails spectacularly, and while they're stuffing him in the car, he's shouting at her, I don't, I don't remember what her name was, but let's say her name was Lydia. He's like, Lydia, I still love you. And she's like, I know, I love you too. Or maybe it was vice versa. But anyway, they're shouting their love to each other while he's being stuffed into a cop car. Um, and all I could think was, this turned comical, and I'm glad that it did. But in the moment when I was evaluating whether or not I should get involved, I decided that she was in danger. Now, there are two ways to get involved in a situation like that. I could have done the macho thing and marched right out there and said, how dare you threaten this child? You know, in which case, who knows whether or not she would have been receptive to that. They could both have attacked me if I did that. Who knows? You just don't know because people can be very irrational when it comes to their relationships. But rather than insert myself into that situation, he was acting like he wanted to hit her, but he hadn't yet, so I figured I had time to call the cops. I did, however, keep watching. Had he started physically attacking her, then I would have gone out there and pulled him off of her, because I don't want to live in a world where you can watch one person attack another and simply stand by and do nothing. And in that case, I had enough time to watch and see what was happening. Like, I knew that this wasn't a case of, like, in some weird parallel universe, let's say she's pulled a knife because she's going to rob him. And he, he attacks her to take the knife from her. Well, if I just started watching the situation the moment he attacks her, I don't realize that she's the aggressor. In this case, I had been watching them for a while because they were shouting at each other. And, you know, that's how they got my attention in the first place. So I knew that what we were dealing with was some kind of a weird domestic incident, some, some kind of typical um, human interaction, and uh, that, you know, this is ramping its way up to a fight. It's the traditional, you know, guy being abusive to girl kind of template, which sadly is kind of a template. I'm not saying that abuse doesn't go both ways. I'm just saying that we all know that men are bigger and stronger and, you know, on average. And therefore, she was the one in, in physical danger, probably. So I called the cops and then watched to make sure I didn't have to personally get involved because I did not want to insert myself into that situation. That leads me to question number two. You ask yourself first, question number one. Will someone else get hurt or killed? Question number two, then, is do I really know what's happening? It isn't always obvious who the bad guy is. And this is true whether you're just me, a, a spectator, or whether you're the police. Years ago, I lived in an apartment complex, and this was in the summer, too. I'm noticing a pattern in all these incidents. Maybe it's because the weather's nice, so people are outside getting into trouble. But it was, it was late at night. I was sleeping with the windows open. It was probably about 2 in the morning. And all of a sudden, I hear an explosion of F-bombs out in the parking lot. This guy's F this, F this, just screaming into the night. Because I was young and stupid, I grab my flashlight, and I go charging down out there to see what's going on. And I find the guy who is standing next to his Lexus. Now, this was not that nice an apartment complex. It was okay, but it was, you know, middle class at best. It wasn't the kind of place where you've got a Lexus with television screens built into the headrests of the car normally. Well, this guy had such a Lexus, and he was upset because somebody had broken, in, broken into his car and taken the televisions from the headrests of his beloved Lexus. And he was very, very upset and screaming. And talking to this guy was like talking to Joe Pesci in... Um, uh, whichever one of the movies is it Goodfellas where Joe Pesci's like what am I a clown to you and no matter what you say he gets more and more angry so no matter what I said to try and talk this guy down he just got more and more angry 
And uh, finally, you know, before he could get mad enough to come at me, I decided to kind of back off a little bit. And as I'm walking away from him, the cops finally show up. Somebody must have called them because of all the screaming. Well, I'm outside in the middle of this incident. The cops have no way of knowing that I'm not involved. So I've never been spoken to a police officer like this before. They were super rude and aggressive with me because they thought that I was one of the criminals involved in the call they had been sent on. It took me a while to explain to them that, no, no, I had just come downstairs because the guy over there was screaming in the parking lot. The tone that I got from the officers changed completely when they finally were able to assess who the actual parties to this incident were. And I always remembered that incident because they just had no way of knowing that I wasn't some criminal scumbag. So they did whatever they did, and the the yelling stopped, and I I don't really know what the outcome of that was. There wasn't, apart from the the televisions being stolen from this guy's Lexus, I mean, there wasn't anything for them really to do other than to take his report. Uh, But it was a great example of how you don't always know what's going on. And like I said with, you know, a domestic incident when, when the cops have to deal with that, you just don't know what, you know, do I have all the information? If I see two guys fighting, How do I know who the quote-unquote good guy and the quote-unquote bad guy is? Well, sometimes that's going to be obvious. Other times it's not. And unfortunately, there's no like one right way to tell you how to know or not know whether you have all the information. All I can tell you is that when evaluating whether or not you should get involved physically in any kind of altercation, um, you, you know, and by the whole premise of this podcast is, you're witnessing an incident that is happening to other people. This is not, you know, I mean, if you're in a fight, you know what's going on. If you encounter other people who are in a fight, that's a different matter. There's a statistic floating around that indicates that uh, civilian defenders make the right call in using potentially deadly force. You know, these are people who carry handguns. They make that call, I think, statistically more often than cops do, like their percentage is higher. And, you know, your knee-jerk reaction to that might be that that it's an anti-cop statistic. But the fact is, the police are strangers to the altercation who are sent there. They don't have the benefit of the same information that the people involved in the incident have. So, of course, the civilians involved in self-defense incidents have a higher percentage of making the right call because they're there to know what's happening. The cops are coming in from outside and trying to make a decision based on what they see. So you should always understand that when you're coming in from outside, when you're evaluating something from outside, that you, you very much have to remember you may not know everything that's happening. Do your best to evaluate the situation objectively and think about the what ifs. You know, what if this guy is uh, not the good guy and I'm about to step in on his behalf? You know, make some contingency plans in your mind. Always understand that, that you don't have all the information. You can't possibly have all the information. So you need to do what you can to make an objective judgment of the situation. Now, number three, after you've asked yourself if, some, if someone's life is on the line or someone's, you know, if someone's going to get hurt or killed, and then you've asked yourself if you really know what's happening, come back to the hurt or killed question again. Ask yourself, could I be hurt or killed by intervening in this incident? Your family depends on you, and your life isn't necessarily completely your own when you have people who count on you. You've got to weigh the risks of 
you going away when it comes to whether or not you choose to get involved in someone else's situation. Now, I'm not saying that even if there's risk to you, you shouldn't defend. Because, again, I don't want to live in a world where we witness horrible things happening and nobody does anything. There's the famous, famous incident of the woman who was, this was years ago now, uh, Kitty Genovese, I think her name was, um, who was raped in the courtyard of a building uh, screaming and many people heard and probably saw what was happening. No one did anything and no one called the police. And she, that was just allowed to happen. I don't want to live in a world where I don't step in and do something when something horrible is happening and I'm, I'm witness to it. But at the same time, you have to understand there are risks, you know, and, and it's a really hard decision to ask yourself, like, I could intervene to save this person's life. I may be killed doing it. Is it worth sacrificing my life for a stranger when I, you know, maybe you have kids at home who rely on you, you've got a spouse, there are other people who need you in the world. So it's not an easy decision sometimes. I think a lot of people who risk their lives to save other people aren't really thinking about the possibility of failing. They're not really thinking that this could go wrong and I could die. They're just thinking there is something that needs to be done and I'm going to go do it. And there's a certain amount of heroism in that attitude. But again, evaluate the situation. Like, could I be hurt or killed? That's something I've got to think about. Maybe you're the kind of person who's like, no, I'm not going to let that hold me back. I'm going to do what must be done because that's the world I want to live in. And more power to you if you are. I'm just saying that it is a consideration. You could fail. You could get killed. So, you know, if someone else's life is on the line, then, you know, if you're willing to die for your principles, I applaud that. But the possibility remains that you could. Now, number four, this is a little less intense, but still important. Are the police on the way? Do the police need to be called? If the police need to be called and nobody's called them, you should call them. And I'm not saying, you know, if you see something and there's a crowd of people standing around, you start asking, hey, did anyone call the cops? Just call them. It's not going to hurt for there to be more than one 911 call. It might be good for them to have a lot of calls that constitute evidence that something's going on. Um, in a very, very dangerous situation, you just being a good witness could be the best option. You know, if you see something like you witness a, a, a gang battle between two gangs of thugs and it's a shootout and you're not in the direct line of fire, are you going to wade into that? No. The best option would be a good to be a good witness. Record video if you can safely or just watch what's happening if you have no other choice. Just commit to memory what's happening so that you can tell police later what you saw. But you, you would not walk yourself into the middle of that hail of gunfire. You know, this is very cinematic. I'm not sure what action movie we woke up in today that this is happening. But stuff like that does happen. You know, there was that horrible subway shooting um, where, fortunately, I don't think anyone was actually killed among all the people that were shot. But um, a lot of people were shot. And in a situation like that, especially in New York City, where it's very hard to have a, you know, it's not impossible to get a carry permit in New York City, but it's very, very hard. You know, you, you pretty much have to have connections. So there are people carrying guns in New York. A lot of them don't have permits. This is New York City now. I'm not talking about the state. It is easier to get a carry permit in the rest of New York State. Still not really easy, but easier than New York City, which is kind of its own little place. But, um, you know, th there are always going to be options where just watching and committing to memory what's happening is the best option available to you. Um if you think you can call the... Now, let me back up. Calling the cops itself could escalate a situation. If you're on the phone jawing with the police and somebody who is party to the altercation that you're calling about notices you, that could suddenly put you in the middle of the altercation. 
So keep that in mind too. You know, maybe go somewhere else and call the cops where they don't see you calling. Um, just you're going to have to use your judgment. Every situation is going to be unique. But always remember, when you've finally evaluated, you know, whose lives are on the line, do I know what's going on, am I in danger of being hurt or killed, maybe it's time to call the cops. And calling the cops is always a great option when something dangerous is happening. I I think there's an impulse on, on the part of some people to, like, not call the police because we don't want to annoy them with things we think are not super critical. But no, that's what they're for. Call them. Do, do If you think someone's genuinely in danger, give them a call. You know, you and, and if, let's say you want to call the police, but you don't think it's an emergency. Most police departments have a non-emergency number that you can call. If you just want to let them know, hey, here's a situation. Uh, uh, it's not great, but it's not an emergency. Um, the guy that I thought was dead on that bench, that was a tough call. Like I called 911 because, you know, I figured he might be dead. But if there was just a guy who'd been hanging around on the bench all day, and he didn't seem well, but he also didn't seem like he was in danger of dying, that might be a non-emergency call, maybe. Um, reporting vandalism, something that there's nothing they can do about, and they're not going to you know, roll uh, police cars to the scene with their, with their lights and sirens going, you know, that might be a non-emergency call. Most police departments have non-emergency lines, and, and so you can make your community a better place by giving the cops a call and just letting them know about things that are happening. Because they don't know what you don't tell them. Um, you know, it, it is a fact that uh, just giving them information can be helpful. And again, I know that there are these memes that exist. You don't want to be the proverbial Karen who's calling the cops for no good reason. But I think more often than not, most of us understand when something really is serious and when something is frivolous and doesn't require law enforcement involvement. All right, that brings me to number five, finally. And this one is really important, too, or potentially can be. And that is when the police do show up, if, if you know, you're, you're, there's this altercation, you've alerted the police, when they get there, are you going to look like the bad guy? Now, in the case of my parking lot incident, it didn't matter if the cops spoke to me rudely. Nobody's life was on the line. But there was that horrible shooting in, was it Arvada, I think, where a guy was shot by the police because he was holding a firearm, but he was not the bad guy. They didn't realize he wasn't the bad guy. He just looked like the bad guy because they were on their way to what they thought was an active shooter. And uh, here is this guy with a gun in the place where they're looking for a guy with a gun. He got shot. Uh, If you look like the bad guy, it's very easy to get killed accidentally. Um, If you look like the bad guy and the cops are feeling like, you know, they want to you know, take care of business, you might get arrested before things get sorted out. Um, and whatever you do, don't give in to the urge to be rude or, or combative with the police because you think it's very unfair that they're speaking to you rudely. I'm not here to argue whether or not that's okay. I'm just telling you that no one has ever won an argument with the cops. Like no guy who ever decided to talk back to the police, there has never in the history of ever been a police officer who was like, you know, you're right. Totally my bad. You're free to go. No, arguing with the police only ever ends badly. Swallow your ego, swallow your pride, say yes sir and no sir, and do as you are instructed. If you haven't committed a crime, you will be okay. Just get out of there politely. And you know, yeah, it may be, it may be, uh, your ego may take some damage. It may anger you. You know, I, I got pulled over once by a police officer for signaling and turning, for, for changing lanes in front of him. I was so angry because... Uh, I, I put on my signal, I changed lanes, and he was mad that I changed lanes in front of him. 
So he pulled me over and gave me a ticket, a totally bogus ticket for unsafe lane change, which, you know, I, I did it slowly. My signal was on the whole time. Nothing about that lane change was unsafe. I was very, very angry. But you know what I didn't do was give him a bunch of attitude when he came up to my window. I understood that I was dealing with a guy who, you know, was was police are just people. Most of them are good. Some of them are bad. This was probably one of the bad ones. And he was on a power trip and wanted to give me a ticket, so he did. Now, I was able to get that ticket reduced to something that didn't cause me a lot of trouble. It cost me a little bit of money. And yes, I had to suck it up in the moment, and I was really mad about it. But I knew better than to give that guy a lot of attitude, because nothing good comes of that. So always consider when you do involve police, will I look like the bad guy? If you're holding a weapon, you don't want to be when the police get there. Um, you consider your behavior and your demeanor, what you look like. Again, people have been shot because the police thought they were the bad guy because they were somewhere that bad things had been happening just before. So you have to take all of those things in consideration when you make the decision, do I get involved in this incident that I am witnessing? One, will someone else get hurt or killed? That makes it worth doing if someone's life was on the line. Two, do I really know what's happening? I need to establish what's really going on before I go blundering into the incident. Three, could I be hurt or killed? That's going to inform how I do what I do and whether I choose to be involved. Number four, are the police coming? Do they need to be called? I should call them if no one's called them, even if I think maybe they've been called already. If I have the opportunity, I should be calling them if they're needed. And number five, will I look like one of the bad guys when the police do show up? That's something you have to consider. And those are my five considerations for whether or not you should get involved. I'm not here to tell you if you should or shouldn't get involved when you see something. Um, I want to live, again, in a world where people help each other, where people stand up for what's right, where when we see someone being harmed, we, we don't just stand back and let that happen. At the same time, it would be really easy to let that attitude turn you into a hothead, the kind of person who goes charging into things he shouldn't. So as in all things, your mileage will vary and you've got to make an informed decision in the moment. Only you are going to know what's happening to you in that time and place. It's not always an easy decision, but as warriors, it is a decision that you will have to make. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I have been Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.